Hi, I'm Stephanie Ricca, Editorial Director of Hotel News Now, saying aloha to Jeff Wagner, President and CEO of Outrigger Hospitality Group, and Monica Salter, Vice President of Global Communications and Social Responsibility for Outrigger. Aloha, guys. Aloha, Stephanie. So great to see you. Aloha. And I say that because, of course, Outrigger is based in Hawaii. That's where a lot of your properties are. But Outrigger Resorts are in Fiji, Thailand, Maldives, Mauritius. But you tell me, is aloha somewhat of a universal greeting, would you say? You know, that is a great question. And it's part of the DNA of our company because we are in Hawaii. But we really don't try to utilize aloha outside of Hawaii. So when you go to Fiji, for example, they say bula. They have the bula spirit. Bula? It's bula, B-U-L-A. So they don't say aloha. So we, don't, we try to be as authentic as we can, and we try to replicate whatever aloha would be in all the different countries where we might be. And I think bula is one of those great examples. And if you were to say that to anybody in Fiji, they would know exactly what you're talking about. I love that. That's really fun and the perfect just very simple way of enforcing authenticity, right? Absolutely. Which is, which is what all this is all about. For sure. Let's start by talking about Outrigger's most recent deal. You are in the process of acquiring the, now you're going to have to pronounce Kaanapali Beach. Perfect. That was perfect. Was it? You did great. Kaanapali, okay. Kaanapali Beach Hotel on Maui. So you announced this just a few weeks ago. Deals expected to close shortly over the summer. Can you unpack some of the timeline around a deal like this? You know, in a time where assets are few and far between, especially when you're on remote locations. Tell us what the process was to get this hotel. So persistency would be, I think, the description of what happened in this particular deal. So. This is a, a property that we had looked at uh, three or four years ago. Uh, we had our sights set on this opportunity. We uh, looked at it and were bidding against someone else. And the other party prevailed. And so they went down a path for many, many months after the pandemic of trying to get the deal across the goal line. It fell out. The owners called us back. We got back into the deal right away and we're able to get this completed. And so we will close on July the 26th. And Stephanie, when you look at Kanapali and that particular location, the proper Kanapali area is there's a Hyatt on one side and a Sheraton on the other. They're the bookends of the real Kanapali Beach area. And this property sits in the middle of that. So there's seven or eight resorts right there in this one strip of resort zone called Kanapali. And there's restaurants and bars and retail and all these resorts. And we'll have one of those resorts become an outrigger very soon. So what are the plans? Did you have to do, will you have to do renovation or a lot of work on it? Or are the stars aligning and it's in pretty good shape? It's, uh, the property has gone through an $80 million renovation that was completed during the pandemic. There were some areas of the property that were not renovated. So we will go in, we're gonna spend somewhere in the ballpark of about 60 million additional dollars on the property to redo the lobby, the public space, the courtyard, and then some of the additional guest rooms. So I think that the sense of arrival will change pretty dramatically as well. And this is gonna be a, a fabulous representation of Outrigger as we continue to move forward. So over the last two years, you've acquired five beach resorts, I think, right? Three in Thailand that brought you to that country. 
Would you say that Outrigger is in acquisition mode? I think you could call it that. Uh, this is number six, actually. The kind of poly property will be. And I can't say exactly what it is yet, Stephanie, but there's another one coming. So. Oh, we, come on. Give us a little hint. Uh, I wish I could. It's in Hawaii. How about that? Okay. So we're, we're excited about it. You know, we three in Thailand, uh, one in the Maldives that we purchased, we uh, Kona. Uh, we also have the Outrigger Kona. That hotel's under renovation right now. It'll be completed at the end of this year. And then Kanapali, and then one more TBD. That keeps the readers waiting, the listeners. Now we have to call them the listeners. So I want to talk with you both a little bit about some luxury and resort type trends. One of the things, I cover this segment quite a lot, and one of the trends or, or buzz terms that I hear a lot is barefoot luxury. What does that mean for Outrigger? First of all, what does it mean? And how does it have a place in your types of resorts? So I would say for Outrigger, barefoot luxury is the perfect vocabulary because we are a toes in the sand brand and you don't wear your shoes in the sand. Okay, so it really so is barefoot. We are talking, at least at Outrigger, we are really talking barefoot. So as someone who wants to go from the beach to the bar, that's what you'll find at Outrigger. It's not stuffy, it's not pretentious, but it's elevated comfort. Does that attract, are you, are you finding that it's attracting a different type of customer or a different type of visitor looking for a different type of stay? You know, it can be tough to really pin down who these upper upscale luxury resort travelers are. You know, some want very high touch, some want things to be more laid back and rustic. How do you bring it all together? You know, one of the really interesting things is that the Outrigger Beachcomber property that we have it's not right on the beach, it's across the street from the beach. It is the number one hotel on TripAdvisor out of 94 hotels in all of Oahu. And it's because of, so the, this toes in the sand piece that Monica was referring to is some of the beachfront properties and some of the others are not right on the beach but they're part of a beach community. So there is an element of what we bring that is a service element that's the high touch piece still, even though we have barefoot luxury as kind of this this vocabulary that that we utilize to me it's about do i feel comfortable mm -hmm. and i know that when i'm on vacation uh, i don't want to be dressed up the whole time mm -hmm. in you know my really nice you know shorts and my you know nice sandals from johnson and murphy and you know mm -hmm. some some you don't shirt. wear socks with those sandals do you no, yeah, no. just clearing it up <laughs> definitely okay. not yeah. uh, but it's it's um you want to be you know comfortable when you go on vacation i still want the finer things i want to go into a nice bar or restaurant and have fun and i want the service levels to be right but i also want to be comfortable I want to be able to walk in off the beach and not feel like I need to get in the elevator very quickly and get to my room because it's, you know, everybody else is dressed to the T. So I think uh, it's fit us very well. It's put us in a position where as we've been out trying to acquire properties, they're the, we're able to find those type of properties very easily that are on the beach or in the beach locations. That's mm -hmm. a great way to describe it, you know, how you want that guest to feel at all aspects of the stay yeah I'll add one more thing which is that we try and show that vibe in our Instagram feeds as well 
And so when you're looking for the person that wants that barefoot luxury, we're trying to showcase that through our Instagram feeds, which it's harder to do on a website to, you know, you go to a website, you see the room category, you see the restaurant, but what's the vibe of the property? How are you gonna feel when you're there and what do you want? So we really use social media and quite frankly, influencers really help to market that vibe and that barefoot luxury feel. Because they can show what meals they're eating, what what Coconut outfits they're here, wearing outfits. okay now i can see that as that potential yeah, way the, of seeing okay if i go there i know that i'll be okay doing this or wearing that the level of relaxation and the amount of joy that's happening in nature that's a, again a really great way to describe it you know i always kind of thought a lot of travel influencers that i see seem very aspirational in that i look at them and think oh well i don't carry that handbag. I clearly will not fit in at that hotel. But to kind of model and, and see people doing and having the experiences exactly. that the hotel exactly. offers it's is all, what's interesting. It's all about the experience. So what we're trying to do is showcase to our you know, audience that's looking us up to see where should I stay when I'm in these destinations. It's how will I feel? What can I do? Who else is there? You know, we've got live music every night you know at our at every single resort property the outrigger has there will be some live music element so how can you showcase that in a way and you know what drinks will i be having what's the flavors you know all of those things you can showcase that's perfect love it love it now you've talked about guests and certain types of guests coming in i'd love to ask a little bit more about that because what's I've always thought is interesting, particularly about Hawaii, is it's a very bellwether market in terms of who your inbound visitors are. And you could tell as soon as the pandemic lockdowns came, you know, a lot of those feeder markets went away. Um, Jeff, on one of the CEO panels this morning, you gave a really good description of trends that you're seeing at Outrigger Properties, knowing where you're based, Hawaii, Thailand, and so on and what that international travel piece looks like and how it's changed. Can you summarize here some of those changes that you see and how they indicate to you where, when the U.S. as a whole might be coming back to that more normalized travel behavior? So I, I, it's a great question because a lot of people are out there saying or thinking that what is happening is kind of linear today related to the return of travel. And I personally think that it is uh, still really disruptive and going to be disruptive. And what I mean by that is when you have a place like Japan that was subsidizing local travel and had a lot of restrictions related to travel, if you uh, came back in, if you flew out of Japan and you came back to Japan, there were restrictions on what you had to do and quarantine and so forth that lasted long past some of the other places, the US for example. And so that business is just starting to come back now, inbound and outbound. So now you can fly into Japan and be more comfortable with a stay there. And if you go to Japan today, you'll probably still see a lot of people wearing masks as well. So it, very different dynamics in different locations. When you look at China, which has really just opened up for travel again, there was this euphoria of China's coming back. This is going to be awesome. 
And I personally said, we all need to take a deep breath because my gut is it's going to be like what happened in Japan because you had a lot of local travel going on in China. It was not necessarily subsidized the same way, but it was really um, it pushed to be able to create local travel and to, to support the local destinations within China because they didn't want people traveling out of the country. And so there's going to be some time before that starts to come back. China and Russia were two of the biggest geosources for Thailand in general. And both of those during the, the disruption in Ukraine, Russia, and then the China situation, neither one of them were traveling at all into Thailand. So they were completely dependent upon local travel, which was very, very small. And so hotels really suffered for a long time in the Thailand market. And now Russia travelers are coming back into Thailand and pretty significant uh, amount of people are traveling from Russia into Thailand, which has helped a hotel occupancy quite a bit. Now China's starting to come back, but very slowly. So we haven't seen that pent up demand like happened in the US as we all traveled once the pandemic was had settled down. And so I think that, and these are all gonna change. These dynamics will all continue to change and there will be we were talking, Monica and I were talking about Hong Kong earlier today. You know, when you think about Hong Kong, it's a fantastic place to travel to. But are you going to travel there today because it's you know, kind of part of the, the China, you know, didn't travel for so long. And, but it's a wonderful place to travel to that will be a place that people will go to some, sometime very soon. And so there's all those different dynamics that will take travelers and take demand into their locations and so i think we're going to see 2024 the end of 24 into 25 before we actually have stabilization of our geo markets and whether or not they're kind of full bore or full tilt back into these uh, travel destinations that they've been in in the past how about inbound from u.s mainland travelers i know you mentioned on the panel this morning how many more direct flights how much more flight capacity there was into Hawaii to you know really bolster that domestic demand, is that something that can ever go away? You know, is that part of your marketing thinking when you think, oh look, we've we're we're getting all these new mainland travelers where it's easy to come. We better see if we can keep them so that they make Hawaii an, an annual trip. Yeah, I think that when you look at Southwest Airlines, just before the pandemic started, Southwest started to come into Hawaii. And they weren't going to backtrack on their strategy of Hawaii. You know, they had planes over there. They had, you know, staffing, the whole works. And so I really don't see that going backwards. I think that's going to continue into the future. And then United and Hawaiian Airlines also put additional routes in place. You know, we now have direct to Orlando, to Austin, to Phoenix. We have direct into Boston. Um, so there's a lot of new destinations that I don't think they're going to retreat from. And the airlines have been amazing partners to be able to support our industry, to make sure that we had the amount of seats that we needed to be able to bring the inbound travel into Hawaii. I want to ask a question about ESG. Um, Monica, and you might be a good one to answer this one. I know that it's a huge part of what Outrigger is all about. Um, we've heard about some of the really great ways that you're promoting that sort of ecotourism, authentic experiences that give back to the area where you are. 
what are some takeaways or tips almost that you could give any hotelier who may not have the benefit of, you know, living and working in an amazing reef environment to be able to do this? What are some tips for approaching ESG that really can make a difference? Well, first of all, thank you for that question. And it's definitely something that we're very passionate about at Outrigger. You know, in 2014, we launched a platform called Outrigger Zone, and it was all about conservation of coral reefs and ocean. And that platform actually was the foundation of our larger ESG platform. So all of the, of course, environment stuff fits in there, but the social elements fit in there too, and even some of the governmental stuff. So we really were able to use that as a foundation. And so I think the first thing that I would share to anyone that's looking at ESG initiatives is, well, first of all, don't be overwhelmed. There's so much that you can look at and say, you know what, it's- Starting small is okay. Starting small is great you know, one one step and then another, right? So starting small is great. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit that people can do. And quite frankly, all of the small steps can make a really big difference. So, you know, th- there's simple things. And quite frankly, simple things that you can do that are financially beneficial for the hotel as well. So not only do they make sense for the environment or do they make sense for the employees, but they can have a substantial financial benefit. So whether that's, you know, there's the basic changing your light bulbs, changing your low flow the toilets and, and shower heads and all of those things. Um, but, you know, we're looking at offsite solar. How can we do that? You know, maybe you have a rooftop that isn't very large, but you can connect with a utility to work on that. Um, on the social side, get your employees engaged and involved. Um, Share information with your guests. You know, we have information about reef safe sunscreen because, you know, we're all in ocean environments. So I would say, you know, think about the environment that you're in. What what do your employees care about and go from there? All right. I'm going to put Monica on the spot here. So there is (laughs) we did this initiative called we created these mud balls. Ah. And there's these microbes that get into these mud balls and you they, they harden and then you, we can throw them into this canal called the Alawai Canal where the water runs off the mountain through this canal and into the ocean. So we want it to be clean when it comes through this canal. So these ginky balls actually with these microbes in them, will ha- they'll pull the mud and all the sludge out of this canal. So we've already done this a couple different times, and I think we created 1,200 of these little mud balls. Mm-hmm. We all went out there. Once they dried, we and threw them. And they're cleaning the water, And they're cleaning the water. Mm-hmm. Well, Monica has said that we are going to get the world record yes. in development of or creation of ginky balls. We're going to do over 5,000 ginky balls in the next yes. couple weeks here. Uh, so I should add that June is World Ocean Month. So happy World Great. Ocean Month. Happy World Ocean Month. And so on, well, June 8th is World Ocean Day, but that's a well, Thursday. So on Saturday, we are having all of our employees go down to the Waikiki Aquarium, all of our employees that are you know, um, able to go down and invite the public. And we are going to make at least 5,000 Genki Balls. And so it's literally, to Jeff's point, 
it, we're making mud balls and it's a hands-on fun activation for kids, adults, grandparents, anyone can make a mud ball and it's a small thing that's making a big difference. And so there are all kinds of opportunities like this in, in neighborhoods and in cities and mountains and such. You don't have to, you know, make a mud ball at a, at a Waikiki aquarium, but there's all sorts of things that we can do, and I'm I'm rooting for us. We're actually world record. World we're a record world record. I, I'm I'll just I'm just calling too. it a world record because I don't know that anyone else probably not not has done that. Well, then yeah. you are blazing new trails. There you go. And I think that's a great note. One to end on. mud ball at a time. One mud ball at a time. <laughs> you heard it here first. Thank you so much, Monica and Jeff, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Stephanie.